Double L just popped in here. He can speak to tuition payments and everything else. These kids aren't cheap. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? What are we talking about tuition payments for? <laughs> I'm getting the blues about being a bank. Oh, yeah. All right, let me let me pop up a PowerPoint if I can. Right, did you, get, did you give me power yet? You do. Okay. All right. Good to see everybody this morning. Let me get this thing all set up. Let's let's uh, get into the work. How's that sound? All right. Uh, so. You know, again, I told Ray at some point, ultimately, we're going we're gonna to come to an end here with Nehemiah. It's coming quickly, um, but I don't want to shortchange anything. So I think that you just want to see where God takes us, you know, as we, we, we kind of go down the back end of Nehemiah, bring closure to it. Um, I think for me, I've been very motivated here these last couple of weeks to really jump into Ezra and kind of go backwards after this. So at some point, I want to I wanna do a good study of that as well. Um, but yeah, let's 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 jump into this just a little bit. Okay, let's talk a little bit about where we came from in chapter eight last week. Um, you know, basically, you know, there's a lot of great prayers in the Old Testament. So as we move into Nehemiah nine, uh, this is one of Israel's great prayers that's recorded. Okay, we talked about what revival looks like last week. Um, so I think that you know, that's what we're going to try and pull from this chapter. It really, it really reveals the greatness of God, um, the goodness of God, the grace of God, you know, just talking through all this, but I really want to kind of be introspective as, as we read through this um, and, and try to make application as leaders, but also in our own lives, you know, as, as we pull from this, um, you know, so let's, let's just do a little bit of review you know, I think, um, you know, in chapter eight, um, what we were, were, you know, remember Ezra, we built the big, um, the wooden um, pulpit, you know, we're, we're at a place now where Ezra's reading, you know, we'll call it the Torah, the, the first five chapters of the Old Testament. Uh, we had the Levites in the audience and they were making sure, you know, that people understood what was read. Um, there was obvious, uh, an obvious response by the people to this um, in terms of weeping. Um, so we, we saw that, you know, unexplained natural response that starts to feel like what a revival looks like um, historically. We know that this was done, you know, uh, in a six hour increment, you know, all day Ezra read from the Torah. Okay, so then he moved on through chapter eight, where the people, you know, were brought back to Jewish tradition, okay, and obedience, and they built shelters for, for seven days. Um, Ezra read through the book of the law to celebrate, they call it the Feast of Tabernacles, basically the equivalent to the Jewish New Year. Okay, so now we're opening chapter nine, Okay, and we are in the 24th day of the month, that same month. Okay, so it feels good, like it feels like we're in a, you know, I always wonder when I read the Bible, how, what the period of time looks like, and it feels like this is, is just a nice uh, transition in a, in, into a continuation of what's been taking place. So I feel like it's still kind of alive. Um, you know, very, very current with chapter eight situation. Um, so I, I think as we go in this, we really want to take a look at uh, the, the Jewish culture and, 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 and how they proclaim this great prayer. And, and I think, you know, obviously with prayer and emotion, okay, comes this great uh, distress that we all feel. Like, th th what, a, what a perfect time to read this chapter as I was thinking of this. You know, like we're, we're thinking about, um, I don't know if you, I've ever expressed, if I repeat myself, just put your, put your hands over your ears. You know, as you age, people tend to repeat themselves. And, and, and you know, like I, I'm 49 years old, but I act like I'm 65. Like my dream is to drink coffee with 65 and above year olds. I don't like younger people like older people. Okay, so I act that way to begin with now. So if I repeat myself, kick me. So um, yesterday, which was Good Friday, obviously, um, is a very, you know, it, it should be in all believers' life, lives, 
um, a monumental moment. It should bring us to tears on, on an annual basis as we really consider. If you listen to, uh, I, I got to tell you, Pastor Matt, when he, he did his, his, uh, his Good Friday, you know, talk about Jesus getting ready to be crucified. Holy mackerel, what a great message, right? I called him up out of the blue, Ray. I don't know if, if you know this, but I tend to be impulsive. So I called him up like at 6.30 in the morning, uh, the next day on Monday morning, something like that. And, I, and I, I was fired up. It was a great message. So for me, that, that Good Friday, I, I actually defended my dissertation on Good Friday. Okay. It was amazing because I did it where I work. And um, what they do basically is they put you through the ringer, right? So I took eight years to write a 145 page paper. Okay. And then you've got to go and present it to people. Can you imagine if they tell me I failed? like eight years and 145 pages. And they say, no, nope, no good. Okay. If, if you want to talk to Dan Shear at one point, he rewrote his whole dissertation because he went through that. I'm not sure how he pulled that off. So I'm sitting and, and you do this presentation in defense and um, they send you out to make you sweat a little bit for about a half an hour, or 25 minutes. But I was sitting on a, a wall, it was a beautiful day and it was 9 a.m. And I started doing some research because I was bored. And I realized that some people say that Jesus went and started the crucifixion process around 9 a.m. on Friday morning. So I actually uh, defended my dissertation, became a doctor the same, at the same moment that, you know, at some point, many, many moons ago, where Jesus was crucified. And, and I'm outside like weeping, okay? And I go back into, for them to tell me whether or not I, I passed my dissertation, and I started bawling. You know, and I'm like this big, big stinking baby crying in front of this professional group. And they thought it was like because of my dissertation. I'm like, no, 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 no. I just realized something. You know, I just connected the dots. And for me, as I'm reading this, you know, I'm thinking to myself, these people are so emotionally distraught. The one guy on my committee I have to, had to work with. So I had to like explain to him why I was like blubbering, you know, before they even said anything. You know, like they were, they were, they basically give you recommendations on what you're supposed to get better at. And I couldn't listen to anything because I was like teary eyed because I was so overwhelmed that, and I'm sure I was stressed out and everything else. You know, I'm sure there's other emotions feeding in, but I was so overwhelmed that my mind was set on this dissertation and I forgot that Jesus was being crucified, you know, and I was sitting out there just processing all that. So that, that is a state of affairs where I believe these people we're in a position of, you know, just humbled, um, you know, mortified, upset. I mean, there's all kinds of emotions. And I think that's revival, right? Okay, so I'll get off my bird walk here. So we live currently in, in a society of like the fast food society, right? We want to digest everything very fat in a, in a fast way. Um, you know, our, our, uh, you know, there's a song that, that talks about take time to be holy. Okay. But we're, we, we don't take the time to do that in this society. And I think this is asking us to step back. Okay. And, and, and take a look at things. So let's, let's jump in um, right to beginning in the, in a passage, have a little conversation, you know, just about what's being said here. So on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. So any, anybody have any, you know, history? I, I wanted to study, you know, uh, obviously we know what fasting is, but what's wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads? Anybody know anything about that? I mean, what, why is that important? What's that, what's, what's the meaning of that? Any idea? I didn't know either. So I, that, you know, I, that, that, that's where Google comes in pretty nice and you start to do some searches. Ray, did you know about this? Well, it, it's usually a sign of mourning. Um, a broke, it, it's definitely a sign of brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, at that point, you know, it's a physical, um, you know, outpouring. So, so again, they're putting themselves in this position. I think, I think this is intentional. You know, and I wonder sometimes as believers, do we put ourselves in an, an intentional position to really repent, you know, to be introspective 
and to take time away from everything in this fast food world, you know, that's around us. You know, like I think back to a lot of the men that used to go to Algonquin and, and part of that trip was they got dropped off in the woods with their Bible for a day. You know, th think about an intentional act of this. And, and that's where I, I look at this. What, I remember when I read this a couple of months ago, I, I started, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big about reoccurring events in your calendar. So I put atonement in my calendar. You know, I wanted to have a day of atonement personally and just try to play around with that a little bit because I was motivated by this. And I just wonder, is that important in the life of a believer? What are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, taking time for yourself, you know, on a regular basis? Any thoughts with that? Anybody do that? Um, I was part of that Algonquin crew for, I don't know, six or seven years. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you look in the Bible, I think Christ and, and plenty of others have uh, separated themselves from everyone else and taken time uh, to get away. So I think it's definitely uh, definitely something I, I personally need to do more. I haven't done it in a couple of years, but um, it's really amazing when you, like, like at Algonquin, we had, we'd either do six or eight hours where it was nothing, nothing but you, a Bible. Sometimes we had, you know, a little, a little packet to work through on a Bible scripture and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it really, it really changes your perspective on things and helps you get right with, with God. If, if you, if you do it right. Yeah. I appreciate that, Ryan. And I, I think that always stood out to me while I can't stand camping. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that was always, you know, I, I love the idea of, of, of what you did and taking that personal time for me, it would be in my own, my own hotel room, actually, it wouldn't be in your, uh, in your tent. Okay. So when you think about this, these men actually, um, you know, when they, they were, they, they basically, you know, the burlap was, was obviously significant wearing a sackcloth, but like, you know, dirt smeared, you know, on, on their heads or other faces. Um, you know, think about, you know, we, we are dirty inside and grieving our condition. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that parallel. Um, so, so to me, it's a, it's a great state of affairs and I believe we need to put ourselves in those positions. So to me as a leader, it felt that way, you know, like it, when leaders ask for, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, boys, it's so early in the morning. When, when leaders want to take uh, trips together to just get away and to plan and to brainstorm, I think that's important, you know. Um, in, you know, I, I think as leaders uh, to go away from the office and, and just find another location on a retreat, that's what I'm looking for, a leadership retreat. I think those are very good, but I think we need to have individual retreats too. You know, so I think both of those things are very, are vital when it comes to leadership and being intentional about planning that. You know, I, I, I don't think they planned this. I think this was as a result of, of a heart condition that was motivated by revival. But I do believe that we can also do this um, without being, you know, just legalistic and, and, and planning it, um, you know, just, just, just. Um, you know, kind of an outpouring of, of, of being rules-based, I think it can be something that supports our own personal walks. Um, so again, you know, these people stood in their places, they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors, okay? So, you know, again, people were, you know, um, on their knees or praying or sobbing, they're broken, okay? And they're asking and begging for the forgiveness of God, okay? This was like a national day of repentance, Okay, verse three and four. Uh, and again, we're going to spend a lot of time in the first, you know, eight, eight or so verses, and then I'm going to speed through the rest of the chapter, and then I want to have some discussions. That's really the gist of all this this morning. So they stood where they were, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day, and they spent a quarter of the day in confession and worshiping the Lord your God, standing on the stairs where the Levites, where Jesua, Bonnie, 
uh, Kamdaniel, Shemaiah, Buni, Sharaba, Bani, and Kaniah. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. Okay, so again, just something to consider. You know, there, there was um, just an intentional, it was like the first three hours, they listened to the law that was being read. You know, the next three hours was spent in prayer, you know, and, and just, you know, put this in your own mind if we actually did this. Okay, we'd go crazy. You know, Warren Wearsby was, as I read through some of his commentary, was just talking, you know, he, he, he's got his own church and a pastor, and he talked about how he'd probably get thrown out for requiring his congregation to do this. And, and you know, again, I think that we can take control of that our, our, ourselves. You know, so you think about there's a number of Levites, and, and, and we're assuming they're kind of the assistants to the priest at this point to Ezra. Um, you know, and he stood on the stairs and, and, uh, you know, they, they were kind of all around him and, um, you know, their voices were above the crowds. So, the, and the rest of the Levites, Jesuit, Cambanil, Bani, Hezbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethaniah said, stand up and praise the Lord. God, who is blessed from everlasting to everlasting, blessed be your glorious name, may it be exalted and praised above all blessings and praise. Okay, again, I, I think there's a nice entry to this. So I, I, the one question I wanted you to consider, you know, as I went into this, think about how Nehemiah has kind of disappeared and, and think about how Ezra has come to the forefront. You know, when I think of Christian ministry, you know, think of how much pressure is on a pastor, you know, on a Christian school leader, you know, anybody in ministry. Are you able to be both Ezra and Nehemiah? You know, like I, I worry sometimes when we hire leaders that we expect them to be multiple people. You know, like in this case, Nehemiah knew he was a great leader who could get things done. Okay but he was not the spiritual leader, you know? So does that take anything away from Nehemiah? I mean, is Nehemiah not spiritual because he can't lead, you know, uh, the people in, in, in the spiritual revival. So think about his leaders and the pressure they face. Like I think of, you know, um, a, a head of a Christian school, you know, are they to be the educational leader, the spiritual leader or both? You know, it, are, do we put too much pressure on our folks? What are your thoughts with that? Think yourself in leadership. Well, I think the line may be a little bit less black and white, right, than, than what you just said, Mike. But I, I agree with your, uh, your intent because Nehemiah did deal with some spiritual issues earlier in the book, right, when uh, how they were treating other Jews and the lending and interest and things like that. So he dealt with some of the spiritual components. But you're right. When it came to the worship and the word, that he, he said that was not his place, um, so, yeah, so I, I, yeah. I think that's healthy for us to realize, hey, we're gifted at some things, but we're not gifted at everything, right? We're not Jesus. We're, we're, we're not to be perfect in all things that, you know, that we're asked to do. Doesn't mean we don't do things that we may not be as strong at, but, but I do think that we need to recognize where we're gifted and, and where God has suited us to serve. Absolutely. Thanks, Ray. Any other thoughts with that? And, and I think part of it is too not putting too much pressure on us uh, us personally as leaders. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I know for me, I need to disciple the people that, that I work with, but I've often put too much pressure on myself because I, I do believe that um, there's other authorities in those people's lives that are going to take command of, of, of some of those situations and, and, and uh, you know, work with those folks. And it's my role, I think, as a believer to get people to a certain place. And I think God will give us peace as to how far we're going to walk with people in leadership. Any other thoughts of that? Okay. I was just so, gonna, go ahead. Sorry, Mike. I was going to no, say, good. like, as a leader, it's also like understanding our strengths and then surrounding us with people. And I think even Nehemiah talked about people on his right side, right? The trumpet player. So like I used that analogy and I took that to my team actually about like Nehemiah having a trumpet player 
and just saying like, who are those people who are surrounding us? They either complement our strengths and weaknesses. So sometimes this is a strategy of Nehemiah and Ezra or whatever. I mean, there's a spiritual side to this, but um, definitely, you know, as a leader looking at where do we lack and how can we compensate and look for people to help us? And a lot of times I think there's that pride element where we want to do it ourselves, and we don't want to admit a weakness or bring somebody else in to cover that. Um, so there's a, there's a lot to learn there. And I definitely have used that trumpet player multiple times um, with my team already. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and I, I think too, as organizations, we cannot, you know, I'm, I'm in a position in, in um, something I'm doing currently where we're talking a lot about layers of leadership you know, and you think to yourselves, when you leave that one leader, you know, if you're a governing board, you know, if you're serving in, in, in some type of group, as you're evaluating leadership, you really got to, you got to be careful that you have plenty of layers, okay, and I think sometimes we shortchange leaders and try to get them to do too much because we're in that multitask, multifaceted world, you know, where we expect them to do everything and they do a lot of things, but they don't do anything well. And I think if we want people to do well, we really have to layer them. Like I, you know, I'm looking at Larry here a little bit. He's in an organization where there's lots of layers. You know, I think they've done a good job of hiring people to be specialists in certain areas. And then they complement one another for the, for the overall. And I, and I think there's some, you know, I, I look at some of the larger, like an LCBC church, I think has done a nice job with leadership and layering people so that they, they don't shortchange themselves. So that would be another, you know, just, just point to be made here um, with, with all of this. Okay, any, any thoughts with... Um, uh, I was just going to say, back years ago, I was called on to coordinate um, like a mom's group of like 50 women, basically because nobody else wanted to do it. And I didn't have any clue what I was doing. I had never led anything like that. And I was terrified, but it really was a turning point in my life because I saw God move in the natural. And I was raised Catholic, so I had never even considered that. And so it was, it was awesome being weak and seeing God just provide like that. And then the whole year went great simply because everybody did what they were good at, not really because of something I did necessarily. So in that, in that, in that leadership model, Heidi, did, did God bring you other people to, to come around you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Everything. It was everything that was needed and more happened. People that were good with rules and nitty like picky um like child care things and all the regulations and that's not anything that i'm interested in you know that's <laughs> people's concerns about the rules and you know you know i think there's a there's a there's there's something to be said about you know like just you just throwing a little bit of a you know an invitation out and say hey everybody show up and let's figure out what everybody's doing you know like I, I think too many times we, we try to, to organize God before God allow, organizes us, you know? And I think in leadership sometimes, my, one of my favorite sayings in leadership, and, and I've got an organization like 300 people that, that talk to me all the time about this. I went to a training on the state level and the guy stood up there. They, they, were, they were obviously um, flying by the seat of their pants doing this initiative and um, Everybody else was complaining in the audience. There was probably 300 people in the audience and everyone was complaining about how they weren't prepared. And this, this guy made this comment. He was very vulnerable and he said, hey, we're building the airplane while it's flying, okay? And, and I've used that saying a thousand times since because that's like my life story, okay? You gotta get the airplane in the air and you know, uh, try it out to see if it works, right? I mean, you, you think about it, if you go back to the Wright brothers, if you know people invested a lot of money into other people to invent the airplane, the Wright brothers really had no investment and they're the ones that came up with the invention, you know, because they had nothing prior to, if you, if you really re research that, pro that's, that's a good process. I can't remember where I read that, but that, that's a good analogy because the Wright brothers had nothing. They just came together and they just brainstormed thoughts. And I think to Heidi's point, it's amazing if you allow God to work, okay? So let's, let's get into this. This is a national prayer. You know, so we're going to go from verses 5 to 38 pretty quick. 
and just go through this. So I think what you're going to see is a lot of historical events through the Old Testament that, that are all through the rest of this book, okay? And I'm sure you're going to be able to pick out, you know, what they were, you know. So um, I'm just going to simply read through almost the rest of the chapter, you know, in your mind, take some notes here as to, to what what they're referring to, and then it, and, and then what we're going to do is bring it back together and talk through things a little bit. I do have some highlighted phrases that I might stop to talk about, but for the most part, you know, this is a national prayer that, that's put out at this point, you know, for Israel. Okay, so it starts off, obviously, in verse 5, blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens and, and even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, the, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that's in them. You gave life to everything. The multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur and the Chaldrons and named him Abraham. Okay, so obviously we're starting with just the praise of the creator. You know, this feels a lot like, you know, um, I really got into the Shema with um, when I did my dissertation in Deuteronomy. And, and that's what this feels a lot like, you know, is starting off, you know, you alone are the, are the Lord, you made the heavens, okay? So um, when we talk about that, um, you know, the evidence of God's greatness, okay? Um, in, in this, you know, in this passage, you're gonna see the, the, the word, um, you know, over and over and over again. So some of the, some of these similar words. We'll talk about that as, as well. Okay, verse eight. You found his heart faithful to give, and you made a covenant with him to give his descendants in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the, the Pezrites, the Jebusites, and the the Gershites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard the cry at the Red Sea. Okay, so again, we see, you know, he, he's talking about, you know, we've talked about the, the covenant with Abraham. Okay, now we're getting into the acts in Egypt. Okay, and what's taken place. You sent the signs and the wonders against the Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through on dry ground and hurled hurl their pursuers in the depths like a stone into the mighty waters. Okay, again, here obviously we're talking about the parting of the Red Sea. By day you led them with a pillar of the cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way uh, they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai, you spoke to them from heaven, you gave them regulations and laws uh, that are just right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made it known to them uh, your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, laws through your servant Moses. So here, obviously, we're talking about... Uh, you know, the, the wandering in the desert, okay, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, okay, so we're just reflecting on what God has done with the Israelites. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, uh, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land. You had sworn with uplifted hand to give them but they, our ancestors, became arrogant, stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. Okay, so let's just pause here a minute um, in 15:16. You know, think about the application here for us. Um, you know, obviously, they're just reflecting on um, the Jewish history and what God's done for them and the Israelites. Um, as we spend time here, let's say, you know, in the Easter um, holiday, do we spend enough time, you know, remembering what God has done for us? You know, I, I think that has to bring us to a place where are we uh, arrogant and stiff-necked and do not obey commands, you know? And I, I think that we have to have pause. And, and I do believe the people in this study, I can't imagine you guys don't have pause on a holiday like this, but do you have pause through the year? You know, and I think that I'll keep coming back to that because for me that that's been a kind of a conviction in this chapter for me is is being intentional about that. 
What are your thoughts, you know, just in terms of society, in terms of church, in term, terms of culture? Do we take time for, you know, atonement, repentance, um, just recognizing what God's done and, and, and also realizing maybe how disobedient we have been? What are your thoughts? So I think one of the, I'm not answering the question. I apologize, Mike. Um, I I think this chapter reminds me of how prone to rebellion that we are and our hearts are. Right? They they got they saw God part the Red Sea. Right? They saw Him travel before them in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, and yet they still rebelled. I mean they they saw Him descend on Mount Sinai. It, you know, his presence descend on Mount Sinai and they still rebelled. And, um, and so I just, uh, yeah, I just, I'm reminded that uh, no leader is immune from failure. No leader is immune from, um, uh, from, from sinning and destroying everything that, that they have. So that's not answering your question, but now, I, I think it's fantastic, Ray, and, and just just to go through the specifics. So, so again, remember, you know, we're preaching this to, to, to the people, and, and we're reminding them of all the things that God has done for us. And, and, and you know, again, this is, this is kind of a little bit laborious, but, you know, again, you know, the point has to be made you know, what's been done. And I, you know, I think too, I mean, when you think of a business, you know, uh, is it, is it appropriate for us to stop to understand our blessings, you know, in, in a business? So again, intent, it, being intentional of, about your personal time with the Lord is important, but I think also being intentional with your leadership team and reflecting on the blessings, I think is important as, as well. Um, you know, again, do we provide time for reflection as leaders? It's, 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 it's really, it's tough because you have to get away from operations to do reflections, you know, and it's tough to shut things down. Like we talked last week about Chick-fil-A. It's tough to shut it down on a Sunday, you know, but that has to be done in order to prosper on Monday to Saturday, you know, and I think for us as people, at what point do we shut ourselves down, you know, and I think in a marriage, it's important, you know, as parents, it's important, okay, as leaders, it's important, and, and again, when we take the scope of a year, are we doing that in a manner that we are proactive with that, and, 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 and you know, thoughtful and making plans, Again, I, I, I take all suggestions. Anybody that does that, I love suggestions to make application in my own life because I think, you know, that's an area I've fallen short on is, is just being thoughtful about that. Any thoughts? Anybody do anything thoughtful like that during the year? Uh, one of my goals for this whole thing, well, the whole goal is to build good habits, like do what I'm doing, but do, be better. And so I try to, run regularly and so I think that really is what all that is is just reflecting on God and listening to Christian music and but I, I guess my question is with leading other people or your kids or whoever are you just you can't make them do things like this like are you just providing the opportunity or the space or yeah I thought it was funny Heidi I, I, don't, I don't know why God puts thoughts in my head sometimes and sometimes it's a little little crazy but what, what's hilarious is you know, like when I took my boys on their um, how to be a man talk, okay, it was just getting in the car and putting a CD in the, in that, in that, or was a yeah, CD in the CD player. And, and it was the, it was the goofiest, uh, you know, four part CD series on how to talk to them, you know, about, you know, about sex and being a man. But for me, it was funny because we were in a car together intentionally talking about this and then staying in a hotel room together and intentionally doing different activities. And I was amazed what, how that, that was profitable. You know, so I was clueless in what to say or how to say it or what to do. In fact, some things came out of my mouth that probably were pretty alarming at times with, between me and my boys. But what I was amazed was how 
they'll never forget that ever, ever, ever. There's no way. Uh, there's a lot of things my kids have had experience with me, but my boys will never forget our weekend away. Okay. And I think it's, it's, it's because we were intentional about being in the car together and being intentional about being away. And, you know, I, I knew I had to do this for a day or two. I didn't really want to do it. Didn't, you know, didn't look forward to it. But at the end of this, I know something good came from it because I, we were in a space intentionally together. So to your point, running, okay, I think sometimes we overplan, you know, like it, it, I'm going to run three miles, you know, in, in 25 minutes, okay? Instead of saying, I'm just going to go out there and run and see how far I go and I'm going to check the box, you know, because I think good, let God work for you and put you in a space to work. And you don't have to be as organized in that space, but you got to get to that space. So good point. Any other thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of times that if you, if you step back, there's a lot of times in your schedule that you are alone. Um, whether it be driving in a car, mowing the yard, running, like Heidi said, um, hunting, you know, when I'm 20 feet up in a tree stand, um, swaying in the wind, um, there's a lot of time that you, we can get alone, maybe not for hours on end, but it's, it's about being intentional and uh, maybe having some things in the back of your mind set up thinking, you know, hey, next time I get alone, I really need to think about this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not always practical to set a day aside sometimes i think we can probably easier than we we feel but um sometimes it's just taking those you know two hour two hour trips or two hour times when you have nothing else going on in your head that you can uh, kind of separate from day to day when i got a laugh in this area ryan everybody every year is intentional about taking off for hunting and i do think hunting is very good to be honest with you because well, I, there's no way I want to sit and freeze my rear end off outside. Okay, I do like that personal time away. I, I do think hunting is a very good example of, of an intentional, you know, commitment to doing something. And I think there's good because because you're being still, you know, and I think you're having that private time. And I, my prayer life has gone through the roof this past year because I, I've decided to pray while I commute to work. And I, I was amazed because I just didn't think that was good enough for God. Like I thought you had to be on your knees in the middle of your living room in a quiet space. And you had to, had to have more of a significant experience in prayer. But I found that just turning the radio off and driving the car and being intentional every morning, God has flourished in my prayer life because of that. And I just think it's moments alone and you don't have to be so scripted. You know, you just have to give that opportunity. So sometimes as leaders, I think we need opportunities to allow God to work and then let it all go. You know, I don't think you have to be overly planned and there's nothing wrong with, you know, a little bit of quiet time for sure. Yeah, okay. I agree. Okay. So let's keep, let's keep rolling. Okay. Um, so again, we're at verse 16, 17. They refused to listen and they failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of the calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness by the day of the cloud, did not fail to guide them on their path nor the pillar of the fire uh, by the night to shine on their way to where they take. You gave them good spirit you, uh, to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you uh, gave them water for your thirst. Again, we're reflecting on the history in the Old Testament, a lot of stuff in Exodus um, things that, again, that they, they need to identify. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them the kingdoms of the nations, lying to them, even the remote uh, frontiers. 
They took over the, the country of Shean, king of Hezbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. Okay, you made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land uh, that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went and uh, took in possessions of land. You subdued them before the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave them the Canaanites in their hands, along with their kings and their peoples in the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of the houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They, they reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on the law. They killed your prophets who, who had warned them in order to turn back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So again, we're talking about you know, just reflecting on what we've done um, uh, to disobey uh, the Lord, okay? You know, again, I, I want to just pause here because here we're at a place now, we talk about the fertile land. You know, God has given us a fat land. You know, we'll, we'll use the word fat. It just stood out to be more than fertile, okay? But, and, and think about where we're at now. You know, how fertile is the land? You know, has God given us what we need um you know do we ever deny ourselves from this fertile land okay and and there's a comment you know i read this and it kind of st stood out because i think it's where we're at now you know if you want to destroy a nation give it too much okay make it greedy miserable and sick you know we're we're in you know i look at what's happening now we're, we're trying to fix our problems by giving you know and, and I think that's, you know, again, people are struggling with COVID-19, okay? There's no doubt, businesses are struggling. But I, I think at the same token, the answer is not to give, 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 right? I, I think the Lord, you know, um, doesn't want us to focus on the things of this world. And I, I worry that, that that's what this is all about. You know, when you raise kids and your kids are, you know, I'm sure you know, Larry can speak to this, you know, um, you know, my son tells me all the time how he's going to, he wants to graduate, and make a hundred thousand dollars, you know, has anybody, you know, I, I, I didn't do that. You know, like it took me, you know, it takes you a long time to get to a salary range uh, around that area. And, and I think that these kids think that, that it's like this fictitious, you know, place I'm going to enter, right. I'm going to get a college degree and I'm making a hundred grand. Yeah. I think uh, my kids, um, they're going to be the next big YouTubers or TikTok famous or something. I think that's, that's the focus, but yeah. that's, that's what the world tells us. That's cool. That's how you make money. That's how you'd be successful. Well, and Larry, to your point, my wife, I don't have this Instagram, but my wife's got it. Okay. And every once in a while she sees a nice picture. She wants to show me on Instagram, but you got to hold your finger on it or the picture goes away. I think, you know, so like, She'll say, hey, there's this cool picture on Instagram. She, I'd say, give me your phone. And then I grab it and the, the picture's not there anymore because it goes away somewhere, okay? And she said, no, no, you got to keep your finger on it so it doesn't, it doesn't advance. But isn't that life? Like we keep putting these pictures right in front of our faces and they move so fast, you can't even figure out what the heck's going on. And I, and I think we're, we're creating a culture of disobedience you know, of, of being rebellious and, and it's all just flashing in front of us. We're a fat society. We're a fat land for, you know, they said fertile. I have someone else put fat and I loved it, you know, and, and I think that for my own kids, you know, I really want them to appreciate what little things they have. Like, like for me, I find joy in like balancing my checkbook, you know, or sitting quietly, have a cup of coffee and reading, like it doesn't take much. You know, my, my son made fun of me the other day because I've had the same sneakers for a while. You know, like, I like them. They're comfortable. I'm not sure what to say, you know. Okay, so let's keep on rolling and get to the end of this chapter. So you delivered them in the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you from heaven and heard them. In your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from their enemies, the hand of their enemies. Okay, but as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight, then, then abandoned, uh, 
then you abandon them to hand to the hand of their enemies so that, that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Okay, think about, you know, even the church now. I mean, we run to church when we're in struggles, right? And, and I think we cry out to the Lord when we struggle. And, 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 and again, how disobedient is that to the Lord? I mean, I think if you really look at it and step back when you're in a good place where you're not suffering, and you realize, boy, do I only go to the Lord in those times of need? And I think that's the kind of culture we're in at this point. You warned them in order to turn uh, their back to the law. They became uh, arrogant, disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinance of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they took, turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through the prophets. Yet they paid no attention, so you gave them in the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them for your gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all these hardships seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that's come on us and our kings and leaders and our priests and prophets and ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that's happened to us, you have remained righteous, you have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our ancestors did not follow your law, they did not pay attention to your commands or statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve or turn from their evil ways. But we see we're slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they can eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. So it, let's bring us to close, the last verse of the chapter, and then we'll talk here. And I, I wanted to read through all this because I think it's important. This is what was said uh, to the people. Now we're at the end, and this is going to be your transitional statement to verse 10 for next week. Okay. In view of all this, we're making a binding agreement. Okay. Putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing the seals to it. So this is kind of like a, you know, what I don't know what to compare it to, but it's a contract, okay, of, of, of obedience. Okay, and I think for us, it's, it's important for us to sign contracts of obedience or to set goals or to have accountability. That's what this is, the trans transfers into chapter 10. Um, so, you know, as they went through this, they reflected on what's been done and how they've been disobedient. And now they're trying to become obedient. So think about as a leader, you know, is it important to have, you know, people sign, you know, maybe a mission or vision statement or to attest to core values, you know, in your organization. I, I think that's important. Um, I don't know if any of you have had to do that in an organization. Has anyone had to subscribe to, you know, either core values, mission or vision as part of an organization? I don't think, you know, again, if, if you're doing this on an annualized basis or a quarterly basis, I don't think there's anything wrong to doing that, you know, um, uh, some type of creed with, with, your, with your folks. Um, you, you know, again, it, it, you know, without, it, without being crazy about it, I do think that when we commit to something, I think there's an extra effort there of attention. And I think as leaders, that's, that's what Ezra was doing here was now calling people into agreement. You know, they're saying this, they've gone through revival, they're emotional, you know, you know how you're on that high after a good, you know, good message. Like I heard a good message this week. I'm on a high after hearing Matt. Okay, but what's holding me to that accountability from this point forward? You know, and I think that's important as, as, as leaders. Any thoughts with that? Mike, our company is... Uh sort of in a transition phase where we're going from what we've been doing for 20 years and kind of figuring out how to do it without the person who, who organized the company originally. And 
we're we're looking at things like um, employee evaluations and what what does that look like and how do we as you know ma management team uh, interact with our our employees to not just have it be a big zinger at the end of the year it's a relationship throughout the year and you know some of the things that i'm hearing you say are sort of in parallel with that you know like this is this is all relationship based and the things that we do whether it's with god or with people that are around us you know it's, it's about staying in touch and you know like even in our accountability and as far as sin and things like that it's 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 not just you know oh man it's easter time i got to atone <laughs> you know it's 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 more than that it's 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 everything to be connected and not just allow it to keep you know it's 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 touching back in so i don't know i got a lot of thoughts as you're saying these things but uh, i i don't know if any of that made sense to you guys no, no, good stuff, Steph. And and I think I think again, you, you know, you got to remember what's taking place, okay? And you've got to spend time in reflection. You got to spend time in repentance, okay? But then moving forward, you you also have to have the, the ability to not only you know uh, commit to something, but also be held accountable to do that. And and again, accountability is not um, an intimidating thing. It shouldn't be. We should make accountability something that we yearn for, but we don't. We, we're, we're afraid of accountability, right? So I think that's that in lies the difference. If you can be in a company where people, people yearn for accountability, that's a good thing for sure. Okay, so let's let's go through some questions just here to bring us to close. We've got you know, about 10 minutes, and I just want to hear your, your feedback on this. Um, you know, again, I thought there were some good questions at the end of some of some of my commentaries that I wanted to go through. Think about your highs and lows, similar to the Israelites. Okay, um, can you can you identify those? Can you identify times of failure in life? Can you identify times of you know where you were walking right alongside of God and you felt good about you know you, you know what you were doing and and. Um, you know, we can transfer that into your organization, into your marriage, into your parenting. Parenting is probably a good one because I've had a lot of highs and lows in parenting, you know, and, and, I, and I think, um, you know, again, think about that. Does that, does that resound with you? I mean, do you feel like you're no different than the Israelites? I mean, I, 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 I personally didn't see a difference. So think about, you know, the next question, how did the Israelites respond all through history and how do we respond? Are we different from the Israelites? You know, did God provide, did we fail? Did God provide, did we fail? You know, that, that happens over and over and over again. And, and I don't think that we, I mean, it's very similar, obviously, you know, culture, society, you know, I. I really feel like as leaders, we have to know what culture is, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, it's not to be, a, I don't want to be afraid of culture. I don't, I don't want to run away from culture, but you do have to separate from culture. Right. And, and, and I think that um, when I went back to, there was a question I did want to ask early on and I never did, but you know, what's the danger in separating from culture? You know, we were way back in, in the first part of this passage, Okay, they talk a lot about separation. Okay, so it was in chapter uh, verse verse two. It said the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners. Okay, is that something that we should do as believers? Should we be separate? There's a degree of separation, right? But there's, um, and even in the Israelites, there's a degree of separation because they were still invited in. There were just limits to what they could do. So um, I think we should be separate in that our lifestyles are different, right, from the world. But we should not be separate in that we have no interaction with them. I read this quote, and I thought it was good. I, I wanted to say this earlier, I apologize. 
Uh, separation without devotion to the Lord is isolation, right? So I think that, you know, when we are separating ourselves just, just by rule, you know, it, it leads to isolation, okay? Um, devotion without separation is, is hypocrisy, right? So I, I think, you know, when you look at those two people, you know, people separated from the world as they drew near to the Lord, you know, and I, I think that's very important. Um, in a, so again, as we reflect on who the Israelites were, okay, uh, think about, um, oh boy, I lost it. Okay, here we go. Think about uh, how you feel when, you know, you went to God and reminded him all the times you had failed him and asked for one more chance. You know, have you done that? You know, have you, have you gone over and over in repentance and, and, you know, we end up continually failing, okay? What, what's that make you feel like? And, and then, of course, I left out a, you know, a letter here, but what, what can we do to prevent our cycles of disobedience? You know, um, any, any thoughts with that? Well, I think that chapter is basically like just our human condition of cycle of sin, confession. So I, I really enjoyed that chapter. But I think when it comes to preventing those cycles, it is, you know, obviously just a personal devotion and, and dedication to God. But there's also the accountability factor, like you mentioned, of, you know, either being a group that's church and then the small group. And of course, with COVID, I mean, that's the breakdown, I think, of, of the recent um, maybe spiritual journey of a lot of people is just not being able to get together. So I think there's a lot there that we can all be a part of and make sure we you know, try to break that, that cycle down. Absolutely. And, and, and again, I, I think too, you know, again, as I reflect on this, you reflect on it personally, but you have to reflect on it corporately as well as a leader. And, and, and how, how do we uh, integrate that, especially in a large organization? You know, like I, I don't know how many different situations you're in. Like, you know, obviously you're in a leadership role, you know, in a marriage, you're in a leadership role as a parent. Okay, they, those are smaller environments. Sometimes those are more difficult to get those times of reflection. You know, it might be called vacation. Okay, it might be called, um, you know, just a date night. Okay, but, but how do you get to those places and those different smaller leadership models, if you will? But then I, like in my corporate model, you know, I, I oversee 300 and some staff members. You know, how do I become intimate enough or set up arrangements enough to have that reflection in that time? And I think sometimes people, you know, what I, what I feel like too is in leadership, I feel like those moments are undervalued. You know, I don't, I don't know. Does anybody, you know, when you plan itineraries for leadership training or leadership conferences, do you, do you have uh, unstructured times of reflection? unstructured times of discussion, unstructured times of independent, um, you know, uh, time alone, you know, are those important? You know, I, I think from a leadership standpoint, we got to be careful that we, we don't over-organize. Just, you know, I, I think, I think we, we have to submit to God's time and, and, and we have to have God's, uh, we have to take that step away. So I think that's why we need that time of reflection. I think that's why the Sabbath was provided, to be honest with you, you know. Any other thoughts to this? I mean, any, anything that came out during this passage? I know it was a long read. Um, that's that, that's kind of how I knew this was going to be. But I think it's important to reflect on uh, how Ezra approached this um, from the pulpit. Any other thoughts? Okay, I'm thinking two or three more weeks here on this, and then we can, you guys can have your Saturdays back. The obedience that you've had and the commitment's been phenomenal. I, I really appreciate it. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're, we're humbled um, to just consider the Israelites, um, but more so consider the faithfulness of God uh, to keep coming back to the Israelites and, and uh, we transition to ourselves, Lord, and, and you, you, you never give up on us. You never forsake us. You always seem to come back to us despite our disobedience. Um, Lord, I pray that we would have more time to reflect, more time to be thankful, 
uh, more time to atone for, for, for actions and make changes, Lord, so that we could um, support a better lifestyle, a better commitment to you, Lord. Uh, give each one of these people a great day and, and just a great Easter holiday as we spend time considering what you've done for us on the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, one one last thing before Mike close, closes out the meeting. Um, I apologize for not getting the recordings up the last two weeks. I thought I had done that, but I did not. They are up now on uh, Vimeo or on the website if you go to the attend the class and if you missed the session. And I'll get today's up uh, later today. So. Just what I need, Ray. I, lo I love knowing out there there's a recording of me. And that really, that really makes me want to come back and teach each week. I got to make sure I have a filter at 6.30 in the morning. Google search, right? We can find everything on Mike anyway. Yeah, if you Google Mike Robinson, it's not, you know, again. <laughs> You'll find everything, that's for sure. All right, folks, have a great day. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ray. Bye.